Uh, Billy will be preaching from 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 through 13. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Well, I want to read to you today some of the lyrics of a song called uh, Sunday Candy. Uh, it's by an artist called Chance the Rapper, and uh, he's a secular rapper. He's not of the Christian genre like Lecrae, but the song that he wrote is about his grandmother, and it's called Sunday Candy because it's a term of endearment. If someone is your Sunday candy, you're, they're that person that you look forward to seeing throughout the week. For Chance's grandmother, he was her Sunday candy. And so I want to read these lyrics to you. I thought about actually playing the song, but it goes by so fast you can't really understand what it's saying. So I'm going to read it to you and then talk about it a little bit. I'm not going to wrap it. I'm just going to read it. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for that clarification. All right. He says, I got a future, so I'm singing for my grandma. And you're singing too, but your grandma isn't my grandma. Mine is handmade, pan-fried, sun-dried, south-side, and beat the devil by a landslide, praying with her hands tied, president of my fan club, Santa. Something tells me I should get myself to church. I come to Christmas for dinner, 50 rolls on my plate, I've got holes in my stocking holding your pockets in place. I like my love with a budget. I like my hugs with a scent. You smell like light, gas, water, electricity, rent. You sound like, you say, why is the gospel choir so tired? You sing his praises on a daily basis, so I got to try it. You're my dream catcher, dream team, team captain. Matter of fact, I haven't seen you in a minute. Let me get myself to church. Chance's grandmother is the one who provides for him. She's the one who sacrifices for him. She's the one who, who loved him. And she's the one who sang the praises of God so much that he had to try church out and see what was such a big deal. And she loves Chance so much that she's constantly praying for him, sacrificing him, and loving him. And as I listen to that song, I can't help but think of, of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He has that kind of love for the Thessalonian people. He has that self-sacrificing, joyous love, and he can't wait to see them, just like Chance's grandmother can't wait to see him. So, with that in mind, let's look into our passage. 
our passages like skip read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. But of course, let's look at the context of our book first. The book is uh, essentially, uh, the book of Thessalonians is essentially divided into two sections, and we're at the end of the first section. We're at the end of chapter 3. Okay, and uh, the first section is um, essentially a celebration of their faithfulness to God, and then the second section is um, an exhortation for them to keep growing. Okay, and so our passage today is like this, is a transitional prayer leading us from the first section to the second section. And so we've developed a good picture of the church in Thessalonica up to this point. Um, If you remember, Paul and Silas spent around a month in Thessalonica. Um, It's the sprawling, multi-ethnic, polytheistic city. And when they were there, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they were there for about a month when they started experiencing persecution for their faith, this very new church. So Paul and Silas were exiled from the city. And uh, Paul eventually hears from Timothy how the church is doing, and so he writes this letter. And uh, so far in the letter, Paul has been extraordinarily thankful for the church. Uh, Their faith is an example and a witness to all. They serve and love others well. They have um, opponents who have tried to convince them that Paul never really cared for them or he never really loved them. He was just interested in money or uh, that the gospel that he was preaching was one that was invented by man. Um, But, of course, Paul denied all of these claims and he encourages the church uh, to allow their memory of their visit there to be their witness. So Paul, indeed, he loves these people like a mother and a father love their own children. So the last time we were looking at 1 Thessalonians, we were at chapter 3, and we got through verses 1 through 8. Um, and Paul was talking a lot about how he wanted to see them and how much he wanted to see them. Uh, verses 1 to 2 say in chapter 3 says, uh, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And if you remember, we talked about how Paul can endure a lot of things, all kinds of persecution, all kinds of humiliation, but the one thing he couldn't endure was not knowing how the Thessalonians were doing. Um, And so that's why he was willing to relinquish Timothy to them. And then Timothy brought back good news. In verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. They both long to see one another. And then finally in verse 8, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And Paul's great desire for the church was not to go back to the previous gods, the previous way of living, but to continue and to stand firm in their faith. And that's where we ended last time. And so that brings us up to our current passage, uh, verses 9 through 12. Okay, verses 9 and 10 are uh, describing Paul's desire to see them again. Let's look at verse 9. It says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? Okay, so Paul is just 
continuing to express his just immeasurable joy and pleasure at the good news that Timothy had returned with concerning the Thessalonians. They haven't given up their faith. They haven't allowed the severe persecution of their own countrymen to uh, dissuade them to return to their old lives. Um, And so their work and their time spent with these people was not in vain. So it brings Paul incredible joy. And so notice the language that he uses um, for the word joy. He, he uses the word Cairo and Kyraman, two of uh, uh, the noun version in the, in the verb of joy. And you'll see this kind of language all throughout this passage. It is kind of this overflowing joy that they are experiencing on behalf of the Thessalonians. And, uh, and he, he is just constantly full and f- overflowing of something. And so here, it's specifically joy. He is so happy. He is so glad that they are doing well. And it's a big deal, because if you remember, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 3, verse 7, he said, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. And so you guys know what Paul has gone through, uh, the types of persecutions he has gone through, and uh, what could bring you comfort during that time and that the fact that the Thessalonians were doing well brought him comfort and brought him joy. That's the kind of love that he had for this church. Um, and like he said before, it's like a mother or father hearing good news about their child. Uh, in verse 8, uh, Paul tells them again that if he, he really lives, if they stand firm in their faith. And we talked last time about how that was like a, that was like a sick like a sick person being healed, someone with a, a, a long terminal illness, as if they were healed, that kind of burden being lifted. Now they truly live. Um, but notice who he gives credit to. Notice to whom he is thankful. He acknowledges uh, that God is the one who is responsible for the well-being of the Thessalonians and for the joy that they are experiencing on their Account. So he, uh, he, he writes this rhetorical question that essentially has the effect of we can't thank God enough for what he has done in regard to your faith and our joy. So let's go on to verse 10. Verse 10 says, As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Okay, so now Paul emphasized how, how much he desires t- to see them by telling how much he, he prays for it. Okay, let's look at the first few words there, how he describes his prayer. Night and day, keep praying most earnestly, okay? Night and day is an expression. Um, he's not saying that he doesn't do anything else but pray, but it does indicate he prays very, very often for them. Throughout the day, and even throughout the night, and that he includes them in his prayer any time he does pray. Okay, and when he says he's keep, he keeps praying, that's a, that's a present participle. It means that he's praying continually for them. And the word he uses for praying, it's not the normal word for praying, it is um, deomai, which means that his prayer was in the form of asking or beseeching. It literally means uh, begging, okay? He's pleading with God to see the Thessalonians again. And then finally, he uses the word most 
earnestly, which in the, in the Greek, it, it means uh, he's praying for them overabundantly, beyond excessive. Okay, so he's praying for them continually. Whenever he prays, he lifts them up in prayer, and he's pray, praying for them with an extraordinary just fervor and desire to see them. I don't think there's a stronger way for Paul to emphasize how much he is praying to be able to see them. And what's he praying for? Well, he's praying for two things. First, he's praying that he might see them in person. We've talked a bit about this a bit, and he, uh, he mentions this a lot throughout uh, chapters 2 and 3. And, and chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Okay, so we, we know he fervently wants to see them, but why does he want to see them in person? He wants to complete what is lacking in their faith. And we've seen before Paul commending the Thessalonians for their faith. In chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of of our God and Father. Okay, but, so the church isn't by any means perfect, um, and they have room for growth, but I don't think this is a criticism of the church, um, but it's a desire for Paul to do what he loves, and that's minister to his fellow Christians, and we'll see later on there's always room um, for improvement in their faith. So, Paul, again, expresses the joy they bring them and his desire to see them. And now we'll look at his, this concluding prayer, this transitional prayer that will bring us to the next section of the book, where he gives them kind of a, a sample of how he prays for them. Okay? It's verses 11 through 13. Let's look at verse 11. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And so the first thing you might notice there is that Paul begins his prayer by specifically addressing who he's praying to. He's praying to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so all the commentaries that you'll read will point out that, uh, that there's two subjects, and the verb direct is a singular verb, and so he's, there's a bit, there's a, he's, a, he's indicating and pointing to the Godhead here, the Trinity, um, and that certainly may be the case, but even if uh, you weren't convinced by the grammar, you don't pray or address to anyone um, except for God himself. And so he's including God the Father in Jesus our Lord when he is um, asking them to direct uh, Paul and Silas to them. So I do believe we see language here pointing to the unity of God the Father and Jesus uh, as the Trinity. I think we get a glimpse of that here. Um, and what does he pray for? He prays for the Father and Jesus to direct Paul and Silas to the Thessalonians. And if you remember, they have tried to come back before, but they've been hindered from coming back. Right? Chapter 2, verse 18 says, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. So, uh, Paul made that point in chapter 2, if you remember, to reassure them that they have been trying to come back. The fact that they haven't come back doesn't mean that they haven't been trying to. 
But that is his desire, is to see their face again. He wants to see them in person. Writing the letter is not enough. Sending Timothy is not enough. He wants to see them in person. So the second part of Paul's uh, prayer is in verse 12. All right, so that was the first part. Here's the second part. And it says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as also we do for you. Okay, and so again, he uses kind of this abounding, strong language to get his point across. Um, he wants their love to increase and to abound, and the idea is uh, overflowing here. He wants it to abound within them and to overflow to all people. So it's an interesting request, considering that their love is well known to Paul. He even writes in uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, we haven't read that yet, but he writes this, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So Christian love, the love of Christ, is, is not something that there can ever be enough of. Paul wants the Lord to cause their love to increase, to abound, to overflow, to, to uh, not only love each other, but to love all people. Um, and that would include people who don't believe the gospel, obviously, but even the people who may be persecuting them as well. Um, it includes all people. Um, so you have to remember the setting that they're in. There are people who are frequently and constantly persecuting them. He wants their, that Christian love to abound to them as well. Um, and, what is, uh, and what's this love? It's the same love with which Paul and Silas, Silas loved them when they were first with them. It's sharing the gospel. It's serving one another. It's working so that they can fulfill the needs of every person. So Paul and Silas are an example of how to love for how how for them to love. So he his prayer for them is is that their love would be overflowing and increasing and abounding and that it would be continuing to increase day by day. And so now we look at the last part of Paul's prayer, verse 13. And it says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Now, this is a uh, challenging verse. And I think I'm okay saying I'm not entirely certain how to understand it or what to make of it. But I'll give it my best shot. Um, I think that um, uh, you have to continue what he's saying from verse 12, okay, the so that... You're continuing on from verse 12. So he wants the Lord to increase and abound in their, their love for one another so that he may establish your hearts. Now the word establish can also be strengthened. So that he may strengthen your hearts without blame in holiness for our God. Um, so I, what it seems to me that he's saying is that he wants them to continue and abound in love and to strengthen the love um, so that they would be blameless whenever they come before Christ, whenever he returns. And so we've, about the, we've talked about the return of Christ, um, and we've mentioned that 
earlier on in this book, and the return of Christ re- refers to the return of Christ in judgment. Um, but we, I don't believe this is saying that um, he wants your love to abound, and it's an issue of, uh, of salvation or whether or not you have salvation. I think it's an issue of, uh, of whether or not um, you are loving as you should love, um, and before Christ, if um, when, he, when he is looking at you and judging how you have lived your life, he wants you to be able to have loved as much as you could have loved. That is my best understanding of that passage there. It's a difficult passage. Um, and then, finally... Paul, again, looks to the time when Christ returns, and we've, of course, discussed that he's returning as a judge, and here he's saying he's returning with all his saints, and, of course, the saints is holy ones, hagias, and uh, that's understood to be either angels or uh, the redeemed human beings, and, of course, I think that uh, refers to redeemed human beings. It's more commonly used or referred to... uh, redeemed people, and so I think that's the more likely option here. So, let me summarize this passage, what we've talked about. First, Paul is ending the section of his letter to the Thessalonians with a prayer and exhortation to the church. Um, He is reassuring them that he is praying for them, and he is giving them a prayer that they can have until he returns. Secondly, since Paul cannot see the church face to face, he encourages them um, with this prayer. And I have three points about uh, how he wants to encourage them. First, he wants them to know that he is urgently and consistently praying for them and to be able to see them in person. Paul dearly loves these people. He is an example for us of how we should love one another. He wants the Lord, secondly, to cause their love to overflow for one another. And I think this is our prayer for each one of us, that the love of Christ would overflow um, through each one of us, and would be, we would be loving to one another here, and overflow and go out the doors and be loving to one another in our daily lives, wherever we are. And thoroughly, he wants the Lord to increase their love so that the their hearts may be strengthened and so that they may be blameless in the presence of Christ when he returns. Okay. So Paul dearly cares for these people and he wants their well-being and he wishes he could be there personally, but he can't and so he prays for them and he prays that their love may abound. And that is our prayer for us today. So let me, let me pray for us today in that regard. Our Father, we are thankful again for your word. We're thankful for the example that Paul and Silas, and of course, Lord Jesus set before us, and how we uh, should love one another. God, we, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, work in our hearts, Lord, to be loving. God, we know it's, uh, there's a reason Paul prays to you to, uh, that you would increase and that you would abound um, the love in our hearts for one another, Lord, because that is something 
uh, we need you to do, Father. And so we pray for that. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to love one another well. We pray that we would be able to understand and see the needs of one another and be able to fulfill those needs, Father. And God, we thank you again for your work. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.